All right. All right, guys, if you have your Bibles, um, if you could open up to the book of 1 John. Tonight we're going to be looking at chapter 4. I'm um, looking at the rest of the chapter, verses 7 through 21. Again, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Um, why don't we go ahead and read that, and then we'll dig into it. Starting in verse 7, it says this, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us the Spirit as proof that we live in Him and He in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them and they live in God. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in His love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it's for the fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. So guys, today as we get into this passage, again, we're going to continue this, um, this focus that we've been looking at in this book of 1 John of uh, walking in, in the light and love of God and, and the blessing that comes through that. And, and you know, as we, we've seen just over and over again as we've been through this book, is as, as we walk in that intimate fellowship with God, unhindered by sin, there's just so much that we get to experience as His people. Um, blessing after blessing, good thing after good thing, uh, even through the struggles, He's there giving us peace and comfort. And because we experience all those things, we can then be a conduit of God's grace to the people around us. If there's anything that's clear in this book is that we have a call as God's people to love one another. Now, it's interesting to me that the Apostle John hits on this again. Because we've already seen this topic um, multiple times in this book about loving one another. And, and it almost seems maybe a, a little bit redundant. But what I love about the way he puts it here in this passage is that it's not just another simple command to love one another. But he gives some definition behind it. Um, really defining love for, for what it actually is. And just gives them uh, some, some good reasons that we should um, try to imitate this love um, of the Lord. So the, the first thing I was thinking as I was reading through this, these first couple verses, to me, um, it just shares our responsibility um, we have to express the character of God. And, you know, again, it says here, you know, dear friend, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not, does not know God, for God, it says, is love. 
It's just an interesting way that he puts that. That he puts that. Now, if you were to think of the character of God, like we have a responsibility as his people to express the character of God. And, and if you were to try to describe in your own words what the character of God is, like what adjectives would you use, these descriptive words, what comes to mind? Like God is what? Um, you know, many times we would say God is merciful. You know, God is kind, God is patient, God is gracious, God is compassionate, God is just, God's caring, God's benevolent, and that list just keeps going and going and going and going, right? And, and it's those, all those statements are very, very accurate, and, and God absolutely is all those things, but what these first couple of verses, really this passage tells us is that the, the foundation of all those things is love, because if you want to know what the definition of love truly is, like this world calls it a lot of things, but the Bible defines love as the character of God. Like, he is love. It's not that love, uh, he, he defines literally, love finds find his definition in the person of God himself. So when we think about God's mercy, his kindness, his patience, his graciousness, and, 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 and so on, all of those things are a, a product of the fact that God is love. It's because he loves that he is gracious. It's because of his love that he is kind. It's because of his love that he is merciful and so on. And really everything we see through the entire Bible from beginning to end shows just how amazingly God loves his people through his just different ways that he takes care of them. And, and some may say, well, what, what about even like the, the, the hard parts? Like what about when, when God disciplines his people? That don't seem very loving. Well, Scripture says that God chastens those he loves. Well, what about those times that, that God, um, you know, took Israel and they were conquered and taken away captive and all these other things? That was from the foundation of God's love too because had God not intervened, they would have completely walked away. And it was through those times where he pulled them away that they were refocused. And, and through all them things, we see the whole narrative of Scripture, eventually Christ is born, right? And so everything that we see from beginning to end, even back at Noah's flood and the devastation, it was love. It was the foundation of all those things. It was love for his chosen people. So that really is the character of God. And so if, if we truly belong to God, it says here that we have a responsibility to, to follow that character, which is his love, um, being the foundation of all that we do as well. Because he says here in verse 7 that anyone who loves God is, is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God. And so if we who are God's people claim to be his then love better be evident in our lives. Because if it isn't, one of two things is true. Either we don't belong to God, or there's something in our relationship that is hindering our relationship with God, so therefore we're not experiencing his love, then we can't show it to others. Does that make sense? I mean, it's, it's one of those two things. We either don't belong to him at all, or we're not in right relationships. As we look at our lives, if we're not producing the character of God, which manifests itself in our love for one another, then there's something greatly wrong in our lives. So when we think about that, because that's a pretty broad term to say God is love, and therefore we need to model that. So is, is there some example for us in Scripture of the way God loves? Absolutely. It's, it's all the way through the Bible, but even in, in, these, in, in verses 9 and 10, I mean, there's just a ton of things that we can pull out that describe maybe the, the pinnacle of God's love in a lot of ways. Now, one thing we see about God's love here in verses 9 and 10, um, and I love the way that says, just starts here, that God showed 
like God displayed his love. And so when we think about godly love that we're supposed to follow, one thing we can see clearly in Scripture, hopefully clearly in our lives, is that God's love manifests itself in immeasurable ways. So when we love people, it's measurable. It's one thing to say, I love somebody, but actions speak louder than words. And if our actions don't follow the words, then really how powerful are the words? Are you following? And so when we think about godly love, godly love is measurable. It can be seen. It can be measured by different ways that we show God's love to people. For instance, we think about how God showed his love in the past. He gives people wisdom and provision and direction and counsel and compassion and kindness and mercy. He saved his people from destruction over and over and over again, giving people second, third, fifth, hundred chances to, to come back to him. And he, he showed his love in, in time after time after time in multiple ways. Now, as we think about that, that's our call as well. If God shows his love in measurable ways, then we should show our love in measurable ways as well. Sometimes that comes through words of encouragement. Sometimes that's expressed through good deeds or acts of service. Sometimes that love's expressed as we invest ourselves into other people's lives and then come alongside of them to help them grow spiritually. Sometimes it's just simple kindness. The point is, is that godly love has action behind it. It's not merely words. The love that God has showed us is, is measurable, and the love we should show one another if we want to follow the example of God should be seen in practical ways as well. Another thing that we can see about God's love in these passages is that God's love is given willingly. And it says, again, God showed how much he loved us by sending his son. Did God have to do that? Well, no. He didn't have to do anything, but he chose to, and then we have to ask the question, Why? Well, the, probably the most famous verse of all of Scripture tells us why. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, right? And so his love was the motivation, and he did it willingly. It wasn't by compulsion. It wasn't out of obligation. And that is the exact love that we're supposed to model as well when it comes to the people around us. Not out of compulsion, not out of obligation, but simply because I love him, I want to show love to one another, Another aspect of God's love we can see is that God's love gives the best it has to offer. When we think about when it says here that he loved us by sending his one and only son, notice that God didn't send an angel or just some messenger to just put some band-aid on humanity's problem. He sent the best. He said the only one that could come and actually fix the situation that we were in. Every other way would have fallen short. The only way to save us was by sending his one and only son, the perfect son of God, Jesus Christ, to this earth. He gave his best. He didn't give some leftovers. He didn't give some second-rate imitation. He gave the best. And when it comes to our lives as Christians, that should, we, should be the way that we approach our relationships, especially in the body of Christ is we don't give one another our leftovers. We don't give other, some, some cheap imitation commitment to one another in love. It's we give our best because God gave us his best. And that was what we're supposed to follow. So one question we should ask is, in our lives, what are we doing? Are we giving the best version of ourselves to people? Or are we give people, giving people leftovers? 
Another aspect of God's love we can see here is that godly love is, is given for the specific purpose of blessing. If you look at verse 10, why did he send his son? He sent his son as a sacrifice to take away whose sins? Ours. Was that a blessing? Absolutely. Even in verse 9, he sent his son, why? So that we might have eternal life through him. So when we think about the reason that God did this, God sent Jesus for two basic purposes, to restore people in a relationship with him and to offer eternal life so that we could be with him forever. It's the whole purpose of why Jesus came. His purpose in coming was to bless us so that we could be with him, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be washed clean, so that we could be restored. And that's the example that we have. I mean, yes, God gained us, right? And that was awesome. But we gained the most, didn't we? The, the reason he showed it, it was for us, and, and we gained all the benefits of what he did. You think about the, the love that was shown through Christ, the greatest blessing of all. God's wrath on sin was satisfied. Salvation and forgiveness were offered to all who would receive it. The door of heaven opened. The ability to experience the love of God in the here and now was made available. And all who know Jesus have eternal life as a guarantee. That was all the blessing that came from that one gift of love. And so we think about that example when it comes to one another. Godly love is not selfish. It's not self-seeking. It's not about what I get in return. It's not about I'm going to do this for you so that I get this back. It's, it's a selfless love that says, I'm going to do this simply because I love him. Simply because that's the example that I've been given. Therefore, I'm going to love one another. And that should be our motivation. Another aspect of godly love we can see here is that godly love is a sacrificial love. Because he sent his son as a sacrifice. Now, often we think about the sacrificial love of God, our minds instantly go to Christ. And for good reason, because he, he did. He suffered a lot. He sacrificed a lot. When we think about Philippians 2, he, he left the glories and splendors of heaven. He came to earth. He lowered himself, came as a human, even went to a cross. You think about all the things that he endured on what we celebrate as Good Friday and, and all these different things. I mean, Isaiah 53 describes it well. It says some of the things he endured and why he did it. He says he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins, beaten so that we could be made whole, whipped so that we could be healed. He endured it all for us. In verse 8, he says, He was struck down for our rebellion. It's a sacrificial love. He sacrificed everything. He sacrificed himself for us. It had to have been excruciating what he endured, and yet that was the example he set. John 15 and verse 13, There is no greater love than to lay one's life down for one's friend. And even though our minds instantly go to Christ when we think about God's sacrificial love, how often do we consider what God himself had to endure? That he had to personally put his son through the agonies of the cross. That he had to watch as his son suffered and bled and died. He had to inflict his own son with his holy wrath. Can you imagine the sacrifice that had to have taken for, for God to do that to his son? And yet, listen to what the rest of Isaiah 53 says about this in verses 10 and 11. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet, when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have 
many descendants. And it says he will enjoy a long life. The Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. And when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it, will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. It pleased God to do so. Even though it was the greatest sacrifice he had ever given, it pleased him at the same time. Why? Because of his love for you and me. As we think about our love for one another, it's not about what we get in return. It's, it's not about whether people deserve it or not. It's simply we need to do it because God showed it to us first. As Jesus said in John 15 and verse 12, this is my commandment, love each other in the same way that I have loved you. You know, there's, there's going to be times in our lives, just, just let's be frank, whether it's people in our family, whether it's people in our church family, whether it's people we, we're around, there are times that people just aren't very loving. Can we all agree on that? I mean, it, it, there's, there's times where there's people that are not very lovable. Like, even though we should love somebody, it's just not all that easy to do so. But you know another aspect of God's love that we see in here is that God's love is given whether people deserve it or not. As we think about this, he says down here, in verse 10, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. It, it was while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us. You know, when we, when we think about the definition of grace, it, it's the whole idea of undeserved, unmerited favor. God didn't do what he did for us in Christ because we deserved it. He doesn't bless us in our life and provide for us in our life and, and strengthen us. He doesn't do those things because we've earned it, because we deserve it. It's simply grace. It's unmerited, undeserved favor. And that's our call. He loved us first. And even people that are unlovable, it doesn't matter how much they deserve it. It doesn't matter how much they've earned it or whether they haven't. Our responsibility is to follow the example of God. And we show them our love. And, and one more that we could pull out of here. Godly love also seeks to free people from the bondage of sin. He says here that the reason that he did what he did was to what? To take away our sins, it says in verse 10. He sacrificed us and to take away. Now, can we do that in the same way that Christ did? No. But, but there's still a principle here, an example to follow. That our responsibility as Christians is to do all we can to come alongside one another and rescue anybody that's in sin. And this is what Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 tells us. It says, Brothers and sisters, if any other believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. And so we have a responsibility, even though Christ went and provided salvation so that sins could be washed away to free people from the chains and the bondage of the sinful nature, we as Christians in like manner have a responsibility to do all we can if we see another brother or sister chained in sin to help them be set free. It's the, one of the most loving things that we could ever possibly do as Christians is to come alongside one another and, and make sure that we don't fall into those things and become held captive by the, the, the pressures of sin. Um, Psalm 141 and verse 5 tells us, Let the righteous man strike me. Let his rebuke be an act of loving devotion. as an oil for my head. Um, and let me not refuse it, for my prayer is, is, is ever against the deeds of the wicked. It's, it's just this idea that 
when, even at the time, it may be hard. Like if, if I was in sin and somebody came to me and, and revealed that to me, boy, the, the initial like, oh, I don't like this. And yet, on the other side of it, what a precious thing it is. That somebody cared for me enough and loved me enough to come alongside of me and help me in my time of struggle and help me get past that so I didn't fall into some huge issue. I mean, it's our responsibility as Christians to come alongside of one another in love. So as we think about all these things, I mean, there's just example after example after example. I mean, we could spend all night here talking about the ways that God demonstrates his love and, and, and examples, but these are just kind of high-level things. Now, what I love about this passage is that he doesn't just tell us that God loved. It's not just that he tells us how God loved. It's the, it's, it's the point that, that as Christians, he makes this point that we experience personally God's love. Like, like God proves his love to us experientially as individuals in our lives. I want to look over to verse 13 through 16 for a moment here. Let's read this again. He says, and God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes, testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in his love live in God, and God lives in them. So John says here, he's talking about himself, he's talking about the apostles again, and he says, look, I saw Jesus I touched Jesus, I saw him go to the cross, I saw him die, I saw him in his resurrected state. This is absolutely true. His salvation is absolutely real, right? And so he's like, this love that I was just telling you about, it's not that he just displayed this, it's like, it was a real thing that I've personally experienced. And he says, those of you that, that have believed in him have experienced the same thing. Now that's a powerful statement, right? But what about, what about the rest of the people that that like never saw the things that John saw. Because all the people he was ministering to, they didn't get to see Jesus, most of them. Like they didn't, even, they didn't know him personally. They didn't see his ministry. They didn't see him die. They didn't see him raise again. What they were going off was the simple message of the gospel that John had shared with these people. And as we think about that, that's even a struggle for so many Christians today. Like, yeah, is God real? Like, yeah, I believe it by faith. But like... How do we really know that he's real? Like, like, how do we prove it? Like, it says in here about God's love, but like, how do I prove his existence? Well, we can see the evidence of God with our eyes everywhere. And like, I'm not even talking about nature. As, as, as amazing as nature is, here's where I'm going with this. Have you ever known somebody that was just like as far away from God as possible that somebody could possibly get, and then like they come to Jesus and there's this like huge transformation in their life. How do you explain that outside of God? Like my, my great-grandfather, the, the, the bootlegger selling alcohol back in the 20s, how does that guy come to Jesus and have a life transformed that he spends 50, 60 years as one of the greatest witnesses that that area had ever seen. How, how, how does the town drunk, one of my friends that I know, town drunk for 20, 30 years, comes to Jesus, absolute transformation. How, how does that happen? What, what explanation is there outside of Christ? 
There's, there's evidence. It's like it says in here, God lives in them. That, that's the only explanation that you could ever possibly have. As I think about evidence in, in my own life, like, like have you ever had somebody that has come to you and, and, and it's been like, can you prove that Jesus is alive? Like, you're witnessing to an unbeliever and you're like, well, but, but how do you know? Who's, who's ever been asked that question? Like, like, how do you know that he's real? How do you explain it? I mean, like, like legit, can, can we literally prove scientifically that God is absolutely real? Well, no, not really. You can't see him, you can't touch him, you can't hear him. Science offers other explanations, so, so how is it because we feel them inside of us. They, they don't get it, but a Christian does. Because of, think about what he says here. God has given us his spirit as the proof that he lives in us. I can tell you that in my life, if it had not been for God meeting me where I was at and getting a hold of my life, I would be a far different person than I am today. He saved me from myself and everybody around. He saved them from me as well. How does that happen? It's, it's only because, the only explanation is Jesus. It, who, has anybody ever seen the Chosen series in here? Like nobody? I know some of you have. Work with me. The Chosen series. Come on. Okay, I, don't, I know there's a handful of us. There's this scene in this, in this show where it's Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, who's demon-possessed, Mary Magdalene, who's in a life of prostitution. Jesus meets her where she's at, calls her by name, and she is just radically transformed. And, and, and Nicodemus, um, the Pharisee, who had tried to help her out, couldn't, he came to her and said, what, how, how do you explain this? What happened? How, how did you change? How, how did you get set free from this condition you were in? And this is what she says. She says, all I can tell you is this. I was one way, and now I'm completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. If you know Christians like that, people that were just trans, what better proof do you need as a Christian that God's real? I mean, think about, your, think about yourself. As a Christian, you just know that you know that you know him. There's not a shadow of a doubt in me that he's real because he lives here. He lives in me. He makes himself known inside of me that this, the Spirit of God is the evidence. It is the proof inside of me, and I feel him. You, you, are you following? Do you get it? I hope you do. Like Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16 tells us this. We've not received a spirit that makes us fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba Father. And listen to this. He says, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are his. I hope you've experienced that as a Christian. It's like that old song, you know, he lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today, he walks with me, he talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives, it's because he lives within my heart. Friends, it's not that we're just getting a command to love God like we've never experienced it. If you're a Christian, you have, there's 
it's, it's seen in so many aspects of our life. It's felt within us that his love is real. And that's the love as Christians we're called to exemplify. Why? Because we should. Verse 11, dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. I guess the least we can do. As Jesus said in Matthew 10, freely you've received, freely give. As verse 19 says, we love each other. Why? Because he loved us first. I mean, simply, it's the most, it's the most um, reasonable thing that we can do is to pass on what we've been given so incredibly freely. For, for the unmerited, undeserved love we received, the least we could do is love one another. But there's a, a cooler reason here in verse 12. He says, no one has ever seen God. Have you seen God? You've seen, you see, we can see evidence, but have you ever seen him personally, like face to face? Anybody? No, me neither. Have you heard him? Have you heard his audible voice, like I'm talking to you? Nope, me neither. But you know what's amazing? He says here, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. Do you realize what that is saying? Is if we will allow ourselves to be the conduits of God's love that we were designed to be, people can experience God as if He were here through us. That's pretty awesome. As Matthew 5 16 says, Let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Who is the light? Let your light show us. What's the light? It's Christ. Let Christ shine through us. Let the love of God through Christ shine through us so that people can see it. What, what are they seeing? They are seeing the very active love of, as, it, as if God himself were here being loved through us. Oh, what's, oh, that's awesome. One of the reasons is because the reality is this. If we don't love others, the truth is our claim that we love God is a lie. That's a really good reason. Verse 20, 21, if someone says, I love God, but hates his fellow believer. Now, again, hates doesn't mean it's not just a feeling of malice. It's also actions. It's also, like we've talked about this, in a, it happens in a number of ways. If he hates, it says that person's a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God who we can not see? He's given us love that we must love one another. Now, what's his point? The same point that he's made a number of times in this book. Our love for God is connected to our love for people. We can't have one without the other. Like, the whole message has been about showing the love we receive from God to people. And John's point again here is that if we're not loving the people around us, then we are not loving God. It's impossible because they're connected. We can't say that we're in right fellowship with God and not love one another. It's a lie. We're lying to ourselves. And, and furthermore, the way that we show our love to God is through our love to other people. Think, think about Matthew chapter 25. There's this scene where people are at the judgment seat. It's the end of, of time, right? The, the, the righteous and the unrighteous are being separated. And Jesus says this, 
He says, Come to you, blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we even see you as a stranger or take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? you, You see this picture? He's like, thank you for doing this for me. And we're just like, what are you talking about? I've never met you before. And yet this is what he says. He says, the king will answer unto them, and and you'll say this, assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. See, it's through our love for one another that our love for God is displayed the greatest. But as I find to be close here, I want to talk about one more thing that I just find really cool. The amazing exchange we get for the love that we show. It's, it's not that just that we have to keep giving, keep giving, keep giving, there's never a return. But we don't work for the return, and yet the return's real. That when we do what we're supposed to, for instance, as we choose to walk in love, we will increasingly experience new depths of God's love ourselves. Look, look at verse 17 again. It says, as we live in God... Our love grows more perfect. Now, how can our love grow more perfect? Only, ex- only as we experience more of God's love, right? I mean, it's, it's His love shown to us, poured out. So the more we experience, the more we have, the more we can pour out, right? It's kind of the idea. How do we experience more of God's love? Only by walking in intimate fellowship with Him. How do we remain in fellowship with Him? By only obeying the commands and principles of His Word. And as we've seen here over and over again, what do all those principles and commands, generally speaking, point to? They're all seen in our relationships generally with people. Almost all the commands and principles of Scripture have to do with loving one another. That's what Jesus said. All the law and the prophets are summed up in two things. Love God, love people. And so as we choose to walk in God's light, as we choose to walk in, 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 in love and loving one another and showing people love, here's what happens. We get closer and closer to God. We experience more and more of God's love, which translates into more of God's love being poured out to people. And so our love is literally perfected in like this giant cycle. God shows us love. We pour it out. We get more Pour it out. We get more, pour it out. It just keeps going and going and going and going. The, the, the more we're connected, the more we pull out. And, and, and he changes us, he transforms us, and we get to experience that blessing. One of those blessings is that he gives us peace. Peace in the present. Verse 18, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. He says, if we are afraid, it is for the fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his personal love. Have you ever had a time in your life where you've just been struggling, and, and, and you're just waiting for that proverbial lightning bolt to come from the sky and zap you? Anybody? Like, like we've all been there. Like, you're just waiting, because like, I know I've been bad. I know I've been doing what I'm supposed to. I've had a bad attitude, and I'm, God's going to, he's going to whack me one of these days. I mean, I think we've all been there to some extent, but, but like, what if, what if we chose to do things God's way all the time? Like, what if we chose to continually walk in his love? What if we, when we messed up, we, we did what he says back there in 1 John 1, 9, to just confess those sins and make it right? What, what, do we, what if we did those things? What would happen? Condemnation would go away. And this, this fear of judgment, this fear of that lightning bolt coming, we, we, we would never be like that. We would have peace in our hearts and minds. 
because we know we're rightly connected to the Lord. As we think about, I I just want to read these. Romans 7, 18 and 19, in verse 24, the Apostle Paul is just reflecting upon himself. He's going through this moment, it seems like, where he's waiting for the lightning bolt almost. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. I want to do right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't, I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyways. And he gets down to verse 24, and he says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who's ever felt like that? What a miserable person I am. And he's like, who will free me from this life dominated by sin and death? That's condemnation. And yet he transitions into God's grace and the reality in him. And he says, thank God, in verse 25, the answer is in Jesus Christ the Lord. He says, so you see how it is in my mind. I want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. But he gets to verse 81. He says, but now there is no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. See, when we're walking in God's love, experiencing his love and loving the people around us, we are walking in perfect, intimate fellowship, and Satan has no room to speak. Because the Spirit of God is alive inside of us and revealing truth. And then the final thing is this. It also gives us confident hope, confident hope in the future. In verse 17, so we will not be afraid in the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Wouldn't it be great on our deathbed if, if we could speak what the Apostle Paul did? I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now I have laid before me a crown of righteousness which the Lord's going to give me. Like, wouldn't it be in, in our dying breast to be able to say that with confidence? To, to be able to stand before the Lord with our head held high, knowing that we gave our best. We lived our best. We loved our best. We gave Him our all. When we do that, we can have confidence, it says, on that day of judgment. We don't have to fear it. We don't have to go up to Jesus like this. and uh, We can go with confidence. Loving one another is such a powerful and needed thing in our lives. Let's make sure we do it right. And I just want to read a prayer of the Apostle Paul. And I'm going to pray. Listen to what he says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. He says this, Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. He says, I pray for you consistently, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand with confident hope he has given you, he has given to those who he has called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Friends, when we're walking in love as these people did, we, that, that same truth is true for us today. We can go through this life knowing with absolute confidence when we stand before God, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Friend, that should be the goal of every single one of us. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day, for this time, for your word. Thank you, Father, for the, just the encouragement, the, uh, the challenge uh, that we came from this tonight. Lord, and I just pray, Father, you would give us the, um, the ability to commit to these things. Lord, uh, one of the greatest things, hard, hardest things that we have to do is, 
is honestly, God, getting over ourselves. Uh, I know that's definitely mine. And um, God, so often the reason that we're not loving one another is because um, we have some issue in our own life that's preventing that, God. And so I just pray that, that God, you would soften our hearts, that you would help us to see the need um, uh, for this, these, these things we talked about tonight, Lord. God, it's not about us. It's about the people around us. It's not about whether we feel like it or not or whether we're too busy for it or not. It's not about that, God. We, we have a responsibility to one another. And God, through us doing that, God, to build our church, grow us together tighter and closer than we've ever been, unify our hearts and minds. And God, as we get there, expand our church, Lord, grow us and, and so we can bring new people into that um, fellowship, Lord God. And just um, through all of it, God, let your name be glorified as we show, us, uh, show you our love for you, God, through those things. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we close tonight, guys, we're going to sing a song we've sang before.